0: This is Yasmeen Mujahid, and you're listening to Serenity, streaming live on One Legacy Radio. Uh, We are back today. It is Jum'a, Jummah Mubarak to all of you. I hope that, inshallah, you are having a blessed Ramadan. Uh, We are... Uh, almost nearing the, the last portion of this blessed month. SubhanAllah, it does go by so quickly um, before you know it. And, you know, we're in the last 10 nights. Uh, inshallah, today we are going to be talking uh, about an issue that I've received a lot of questions about. And it is about what happens when a person is trying to practice their deen. Uh, maybe someone is trying to increase in their, in their, Religious devotion are trying to increase in their practice and they are they are facing resistance from their family or those people who are near to them. I I have a lot of uh, a number of questions for example about sisters who are uh, decided to put on the hijab or want to put on the hijab and then seek and then face a lot of resistance from their family members from their parents from their from their siblings and uh and you know this this is a actually a quite common theme that uh you know a concern that that a lot of people have shared with me so inshallah i'm going to be discussing that struggle and how we should respond to this to this test of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala i also uh will be covering uh, questions about what happens when uh, again because of maybe the level of practice or maybe the the child is is trying to be more uh, committed to the dean and so when they're now seeking a spouse when they're now in the process of looking for marriage the criteria that the child uh, the person themselves is using uh, becomes very different than the criteria that his or her parents Might be using, and so then there is again this clash uh, between the two, and how do we approach that issue and 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 address it and respond properly, inshallah. Well, to begin with, uh, one of the I'll read and and you know, subhanallah. I also want to uh, actually end uh, this show with a very inspirational story about this exact situation. Uh, But inshallah, I'll I'll begin by sharing some of the questions that I received on this topic. Uh, One says, I've recently been feeling closer to Allah once again after a period of being far from him. The truth is, I have people close to me in my life who discourage me every time I take a few steps towards Allah and try to embrace my faith again. For instance, my mother does not want me to wear the hijab. She constantly gets sleeveless traditional evening wear tailored for me. Um, We are Pakistani and gives me a hard time about my weight. I have gained a lot of weight and states that I can't reveal my, quote, assets because of my weight. I am also in a relationship long distance. I am in Canada and he is in Pakistan and he constantly says he wants a, quote, pious marriage. But every time I move towards my faith, he discourages me. I feel it is a hypocritical double standard and want to break it off at times because it's keeping me away from what I should be doing. Please help me. I am in need of some encouragement and the ones close to me are not helping. I know you must be super busy, but I understand if you can reply. So, what 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 this person is going through and what this person is struggling with is something uh, that I think you know, across the board a lot of people face. Uh, sometimes we we want to do certain things or we want a a particular level of religious devotion or we were trying at least and our families don't follow suit. Uh, In this situation, uh, to the sister, uh, first and foremost, there's a couple principles that we should make very clear. Uh, The first principle is that obedience to the parents is something that is very much emphasized in islam yes uh, however the the first principle that we need to understand is that there is no obedience to the creation in contradiction to the commands of the creator So there is no obedience to the creator in disobedience to the I'm sorry, there's no obedience to the creation, uh, in disobedience to the creator. If if some human being, if some person, no matter who they are, whether they're your husband or your wife or your parents, are asking you to do something which is displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is haram. Okay, so I'm saying now, which is haram? Uh, because now we have other issues which are more in the gray area, and I can, um, inshallah, address that separately, uh, about issues such as getting involved in Islamic work, da'wah, MSA. Now that's a different category. I want to clarify right now that I'm talking about issues which are haram. If your parents are telling you to do something haram, uh, something that will be de- displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or trying to prevent you from doing a, a, an obligation upon you. For example trying to prevent you from fasting, trying to prevent you from praying, trying to prevent you from wearing hijab. These are obligations that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put on us. If our parents are are preventing us, are trying to prevent that or, or asking us not to do it, we cannot obey that particular command because it's in disobedience to the creator. The second principle is in the mannerism. So even when your parents are telling you uh, to do something which is displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we still have to keep the the bar high in terms of ihsan in terms of how we interact with that with with our parents even if our parents are telling us to do something haram we still have to treat them kindly we still have to treat them with respect and still treat them with ihsan and we know of a story in the quran uh, and when when um during the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi there was a companion uh, who had embraced Islam, and his mother was very against it. So his mother um, was trying to push him to to leave Islam. So now this 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 parent is not just asking the child not to wear hijab or. Or you know something something um, of that sort, but actually asking the child to become a non-believer, uh, something very—I mean, the most extreme thing. And so this this individual, this companion, responded to his mother in kind of a harsh way. Obviously, he's not going to leave his faith and denounce his faith, uh, but the way in which he responded was in a harsh way, and it was it was to the effect of if if your soul. Because what she was doing was she was trying to sort of, uh, you know, when our parents, they try to guilt trip us or they try to threaten. Um, so what she was doing was she was she was it was a little bit of an emotional blackmail that she was trying to do. She's saying, you know, if you don't leave Islam, I will do X, Y, Z to myself. Right. Kind of to make him feel like really pressured to, to, to do it to obey her. So his response was, you know, if your soul, if you had a, something like a hundred souls and each one left one by one, I still wouldn't leave this faith. So even his response, it was a little bit harsh and he was actually rebuked for the way in which he responded to his mother. Now think about this for a moment this, reflect on this. Our parents ask us to clean our room right? or our parents ask us to vacuum or, or something like that and, and we respond rudely to that. Imagine this person is being um, held accountable by Allah Subhanahu wa Taala and His Messenger for responding, you know, not such a polite way to the commandment to become a kafir, to to become a non-believer, to leaving to leave Islam completely. Imagine if, if we're doing that when our parents are telling us to do something, um, actually for our own good or, or or something neutral. So Subhanallah, this this second principle of of the the, the treatment, the level of treatment that our parents deserve, actually. It's, it's applicable regardless. It's applicable regardless of whether or not we actually can obey them in their command, um, whether or not we can actually do what it is that they want us to do. But regardless, we have to still uphold that level of ihsan and that level of, of kind treatment towards our parents, even if they were calling us to kufr. So those kind of those two principles: one that you don't obey uh, the the creation in disobedience to the Creator, and second that you you continue to have that level of ihsan. The second one is ihsan, uh, especially when dealing with our parents, especially when dealing with our mothers. This is a principle that we have emphasized in Islam again and again. The Prophet ﷺ has said that um, when when asked who is who is worthy, who is most worthy of my kind treatment. And he responded by saying your mother. And then when he was asked who next, he said your mother a second time. And when he was asked again, he said your mother a third time. And then following that, when asked again, he said your father. Uh, from this hadith, we learn the importance of treating our mothers, especially uh, very kindly and, and our fathers as well. So in this situation, the sister, she's dealing with, um, you know, her mother is, is is asking her or kind of pushing her to, show her assets, I guess, or um, and um, in terms of her physical, I guess, appearance and in the way she's dressing. And obviously, obviously, this is not something that Islamically we should be doing. So in this, this is a very uh, practical case of when you cannot obey the the, the parent in, in what they're asking you to do. However, it does not give you a license to be rude. It doesn't give you a license to be harsh. Uh, or disrespectful, but respectfully disobey. This is called respectfully disobeying when it comes to something which is haram, when it comes to something which is an obligation on you by your creator. Only then do we respectfully disobey. Um, similarly, you know, with regards to the the um, proposed marriage, I think it is very, very important that before we enter into a marriage, uh, that we we first of all we pray istikhara and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to do what's best for us but also keeping in mind these are very important questions if deen is something that's important to you and there's certain practices that you're going to want to do you're going to want to wear hijab you 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 know it's very important to you that you pray 5 times a day at least and that your family does it's very important to you that that dhikr is part of your 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 family that 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 if those things are important to you, it's very crucial that you find a spouse uh, that has those you know, those same types of values. And so, I would say, if, if if you are considering someone before marriage, take those things very seriously. If that person is not supportive from from now, okay, because a lot of people, unfortunately, they they say that they'll be supportive. They pretend uh, before marriage, you know, kind of just to get the deal signed. They they say, yes, we'll support you and, and you can do this and you can do that. And then unfortunately, some people switch and some people change after marriage and go back on their word. But if someone from the very beginning, even before you're getting married, is, is openly opposing uh, these things, as for example, openly opposing you wearing hijab or is openly opposing uh, you you studying or 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 going on you know t- to get a higher degree or whatever it is that that you want to pursue for the sake of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala if they're openly opposing it from the beginning, well it's not very wise to assume that it's going to get better um, because usually people are trying to put their best face on before they get married, not their ugliest face, right? So if if the best face is looking in a way that's causing conflict. You probably don't, you know, you're the, probably what's going to come after that is not going to be better, um, but may may even get worse. So it's something to take very, very seriously. And in terms of encouragement, uh, when you are being faced with this opposition to what you are trying to do for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, this is where you need to understand that throughout history, um, from from the beginning of time until the end of time, those who try to stay on the straight path will always seek resistance or will always face resistance in one way or another this is sort of the sunnah of, of the path when allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in surah al-asr in this surah allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is speaking about a particular group of people uh, but, but begins by making an oath by time Well, asr Insan indeed mankind is in a state of loss so generally, overall, mankind is in a state of loss, but there is a particular group of people who are excluded from this universal state of loss. We know that we're losing in this life. We know that every moment that we live, we're losing time, we're losing health, we're losing beauty, we're, using, we're losing youth. We're losing money. We're losing, right? This life is tending towards perishment. This is a temporary world and a temporary life, and everything in it is temporary. <inaudible> but there's only one group of people who are not losing from this life, who are actually gaining and who are actually keeping. And it's only those things which we give to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's only those things that we do for Him that we actually hold on to. Everything else, whether we do it for ourselves, or we do it, you know, in opposition to the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all perishing and we won't be able to hold on to it. And we know from there is a prophetic, beautiful prophetic tradition where Aisha anha, uh, there was a, an animal where she had given a portion of the animal for charity and she had kept a portion and she told the Prophet I kept your favorite part uh, of the animal. And he said, no, you have given. So when, she, when, when um, the part that she had, she had kept, the part that she thought was his favorite, and she had given the rest. And he said, no, you gave away uh, the, the favorite part and you kept the, the rest. So what, what, is we, what do we learn from this hadith? Uh, قال, what we learn from this hadith is that it's the portion that we give to Allah, that we give for his sake. It was the portion she gave for charity that she was actually holding on to, that she would actually keep, and it's the portion that we keep for ourselves that we we ultimately lose. So Subhanallah, very deep lesson here. And Allah Subhanahu wa Taala describes who are those people. Who are? What are the characteristics of those people who will hold on to anything from this life and who will be saved from this universal state of loss? إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا Except those who believe and who do righteous deeds and who enjoin one another to truth and who enjoin one another to patience. And when you study the tafsir of this very powerful uh, few ayat, you'll find that. When you look at those four characteristics, it basically defines the personality of a mu'min, the personality of a believer. Uh, first, there has to be belief. There has to be the faith, uh, the proper belief in one's heart. But that belief in the heart is not enough. It must be manifest in action. So, al-ladina amanu wa They believe and they do righteous deeds. Now, one could say that I believe and I'm doing good for me in my, you know, just personally, I'm doing good deeds and I believe, but is that ultimately enough? There is two more characteristics here. And that has to do with what am I doing for the society? What am I doing for others? Because the last two characteristics are about others in joining, in joining one another to truth. So calling to truth, fighting for truth, standing up for truth. And then the last one is what I want to focus on here. وطواصل بِالْحَقِّ وطواصل بِالصَّبْرِ The last one is Why would after these other three, so the previous three were believing and doing righteous deeds, and then enjoining truth. Why then would you need this fourth one? And, and, and commentators say that the fourth one has to do with patience, enjoining one another to patience. And what they say is that if you are going to take the path of belief, and righteous deeds and truth, you're for sure going to need patience. Uh, and that is because a characteristic of those path, paths, a characteristic of that path is that you will face hardships and you will face obstacles. Uh, this is just a part of the path itself. In order to be able to be successful, you have to have the whole package. You have to be willing to believe, do righteous deeds, call And call to truth, but you have to have patience. Without the fourth characteristic of patience, you won't be able to be successful in that path because it is a characteristic of the path that there will be obstacles. Inshallah, we take our short break now. And returning, we will take your questions on this issue of resistance from family when trying to practice the deen. As-salamu alaykum. This is Yasmin Mujahid, and you're listening to Serenity, streaming live on One Legacy Radio. We are talking today about uh, the struggle of when you want to practice your deen, uh, and you're you're facing resistance from your family or those around you, your parents, uh, they're they're not supporting your decision or even uh being very very resistant to it and trying to prevent you uh this is something that we have received many questions about uh, a lot of people are in this situation and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make it easy on them uh, this is this is uh, you know part of the path uh to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that it is not without obstacles but rather there will be obstacles however uh, here is the good news. The good news is that whoever puts their trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as Allah says, whoever has taqwa of Allah, if you're making Allah the one you fear most, if you're making your 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 goal that I want to do what pleases Allah most, more than anything else, Allah says in this ayah, "Yaj'al lahum He will make for him a way out. So know this that that if you make Allah first and you make the taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first that regardless of what other people are saying if something is going to be most pleasing to Allah if something is going to be um, displeasing to Allah you you won't do it. And that if that is the most important thing to you Allah says in this ayah that He will make a way out for you. So know that uh, sometimes these things happen to us, but they have a purpose. And I'm going to share a story at the end of the show, very inspirational story about that purpose. That sometimes uh, the fact that we're re- receiving so much uh, resistance, and the fact that maybe everybody might be against you uh, in your in your desire to to be closer to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, that even in that. There is a purpose and there can be a blessing, a hidden blessing in that situation. It looks all bad, but actually there is a hidden blessing if you respond correctly. Now there's another uh, question that I received and it reads, I'm Afghan and I'm 17 years old and live in Holland. Last year in Ramadan, I thought about the hijab and wanted to know why we're obligated to wear it i wanted to know and do research by myself so i did that and discovered a lot alhamdulillah i saw the real beauty behind the hijab and i used to say i would never wear it but everything changed and i really wanted to wear the hijab the only problem is and was my family since last year i struggled a lot with it because when i told my family for the first time I I uh I, that I had decided to wear the hijab they were very clear and told me that they don't allow me to wear it I'm talking about my parents uh, my father is very strict and he was so mad that they would they, they <laughs> he was so mad at me for still wanting to wear it after he made clear that in his in this house I can't and that if I would they would kick me out of the house when I'm 18 their reasons are You'll find no job, no husband, that people will discriminate against me and no one in my family wears it. So why am I better? Why am I? How am I better to wear it? Um, And and it continues and talks about, you know, the the type of uh, sort of pressure that they put on her. um, And the you know, she's very close to her mother and her mother put a lot of pressure on her. Her sisters put a lot of pressure on her and she doesn't know what to do. I think this this story speaks for a lot of people uh, in this same situation. Uh, first of all, uh, I think that it's just, it, it's incredibly important to understand where strength comes from. Strength does not come from your parents supporting you. Strength does not come from your siblings supporting you. Strength also does not come from your own self. Strength comes from one place and only one place. لا حول ولا قوة illa billah. There is no... There is no change in state, no strength, no power, except by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the only place that strength comes from. So even if everyone is against you, but you are seeking your strength from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you will be able to stand. And if if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala holds you up, then you will be able to stand. It is only when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, is not giving you that help or if you are not close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it's only then that we can't stand it's only then that we cannot withstand uh, these pressures that are put on us but if you are with Allah if you are close to him you will find that you are able to withstand all of these other pressures because the strength only comes from him even if your entire family was completely supportive of some decision that you had made or some action that you were going to do and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't support you you wouldn't be able to be successful in it you wouldn't be able to to, to withstand it so again the support doesn't come from your family the support doesn't come from your parents or from your siblings but it comes only from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala practically how do we build that strength Practically, it means you need to increase in your ibadah. You need to increase in your dhikr. And namely, you need to increase in the time that you're spending worshipping Allah in the last third of the night. Why do I say that? I say that because that was the prophetic prescription given to Prophet Muhammad wasallam. That was rather the divine prescription from the Lord of the Universe to the Prophet Muhammad wasallam. That at the very beginning of his message, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the Prophet sallallahu what he should be doing at this point. This was even before the public open call. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam is being trained. And he's being trained in Surat al Muzammin, We're told, illa He's being told to stand up and pray at night. Except for a small portion of it, his training was in his qiyam. And then the ayah goes on to say, "Inna Alayka We will indeed reveal on you or put on you a heavy word. The Prophet ﷺ was going to have to do something hard. The Prophet ﷺ had a heavy mission that was about, you know, that he was about to embark on, and in order for him to be able to do it. In order for him to be able to withstand that and to be firm and to be successful, uh, ultimately, he needed his training. And his training was in that prayer. Even before, subhanAllah, this was at the very beginning. This was even before salah was, you know, the whole, the whole, co- the whole idea of our five daily prayers didn't come until much later um, during al-Isra'u when it was, when it was made obligatory, rather and so even before the five daily prayers were made obligatory he's being told to pray at night and to pray a good portion of the night that you'll find is your training that's where you get your strength and and in this surah and you know I recommend those people to those people who are dealing with this and, and others that you will find a lot of comfort in Surah Al-Muzammil because the Prophet ﷺ went through this the Prophet ﷺ went through this same situation um, of course much worse and that is that he was he was uh, you know, trying to, to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and was facing resistance from his family and from his people. From every direction he was facing resistance. If you really want to gain strength in these situations, read the stories of our prophets. From the beginning of time, peace be upon them all, from the beginning of time till the end of time, those who are taking this path have always received Res- resistance have always faced these types of trials. From those closest to them, look at Asya Her own husband was standing up and saying, "Ana Allah, I am your Lord Most High," and he was torturing people who tried to say that he was not God. And look at look at Ibrahim al salam His own father was was making idols. Was he was the, the the maker, the creator of the idols. And, and and he and look at how much he tried and you know to, to guide him. The Prophet Sallallahu his own uncle who raised him, was 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 a disbeliever and no matter how hard he tried, he couldn't get him to accept Islam. Nuh his own son, you know, Lut alayhi his wife, when you look at these stories you'll see that this is this is something they faced. From the beginning of Adam, his his own son, you know, had 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 committed murder. You look at Look at the stories of the prophets, peace be upon them. They they went through these types of trials. They are our examples uh, to to seek, you know, inspiration from. But but the question ultimately is, how did they do it? How were they able to do it? And the answer comes only that they came, they sought their strength through Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. They sought their strength through through their relationship with Him and through strengthening that relationship. If that relationship is strong, I guarantee. Uh, that that will be something that you're able to withstand, not because you are strong, uh, not because we are tough and you know we, we're we're really um, you know able, but because Allah subhanahu wa taala provides that divine help and Allah subhanahu wa taala holds you up. Know for a fact that we aren't holding ourselves up. Allah is the one who holds us up, and Allah is the one who makes things easy, which would otherwise be impossible for us and sometimes we look at trials just imagining trials and just think to ourselves i can't even imagine ever being put through that how i, I don't i think i would never be able to handle uh, x y or z you know if if my mother died I, I think i would just i i would just crumble or if my if my something happened to to this person or that person and yet when they are put in that situation somehow somehow they're able to handle it and that somehow is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You see these inspirational stories in our history, but you also see these inspirational stories today. And and I've shared, you know, this story before of, 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 of a dear friend of mine and, and her children who are very ill and, and have a disease where they're, you know, over time they're just deteriorating, their 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 functionality of their sight and their hearing and their ability to walk and even their ability to swallow. Over time it's just it's deteriorating, and she was told that they will slowly lose these abilities until eventually they die a slow and painful death. I mean, this is something no one, I think, can imagine hearing as a mother. And yet, this woman is, Subhanallah, she she says she's drowning in gratitude, and this is the this is the state of this woman. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, may Allah make it make it even easier on her and and carry her through this and make her trials easy. But this is the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is a sign of Allah to show us that no matter what you're going through, Allah can make it easy on you. But only if you're close to Him and only if you seek His help. But know for a fact that if you're seeking that help anywhere else, whether whether you're seeking it in other people you're seek, or you're seeking it in your own self, sometimes this is what we do wrong is that we, we face a, a trial and we try to be you know self sufficient i'm i'm tough i got this i'm okay right i'm going to i'm going to do this on my own i don't need anybody that in and of itself is also a deception because to say that you don't need anybody is to think that you can do it on your own and you can't you need allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you're not holding yourself up and don't try to hold yourself up go to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it's allah who holds us up Remember that whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to make easy, it could be the hardest thing in the world. Something that you could never ever imagine uh, happening. And yet, he makes it easy on us. And this is something we learn from the story of Asiya herself, Anha, one of the four most perfect women ever to live, that she was being tortured by Fir'aun. So her, again, a family member. And so we have these stories throughout the Qur'an. A family member is torturing her because of her deen because of her her desire to please her creator she's being tortured physically and as a result of that uh, Allah she asks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to show her her home in Jannah and Allah shows her her home in Jannah as she was being uh, in the process of of, of her being tortured and so she smiles and we and we know that because she smiled that you know that enraged Fir'aun even more because here she is, She's he's trying to torture her uh, in order for her to, to, to leave her deen. And and, and and yet she's smiling. How can a person be able to smile in the midst of their hardship? And the answer is because of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because of the help of Allah. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you that help, you too are able to smile even in the midst of your hardship. Even when everyone is against you, even when everyone is pressuring you and 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 it it looks like it's closed in every direction. But if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with you, even then you can smile. And we see this subhanAllah also in the story of Ibrahim alayhi salam. And his own people are doing what to him? They're about to throw him into a fire, right? Um, you know, subhanAllah, we have our trials, but we're never inshallah gonna be thrown into fire by our uh, people right um and yet you know subhanallah we 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 face these hardships in different forms but look at what happened to ibrahim alayhi salam he's going to be thrown into the fire and just before that it it, it's related that just before that jibreel alayhi salam comes to um ibrahim alayhi salam and asks him do you need anything (laughs) jibreel is asking do you need anything and you can imagine if we were in this situation, right? And we're about to be thrown into a fire. And then, you know, the, the, the angel comes and asks, you need anything? Probably our reaction is, yeah, get me out of here, right? Um, you know, like, well, why, why am I still in this situation? But you know what his response was? Not from you. Not from you. Look at the, the level of Tawheed that Ibrahim alayhi salam had. He knew that his the help would come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He didn't even ask for the help from, from Jibreel alayhi salam. And and look at the amount of of, of of faith and the amount of tawakkul that he knew that this situation that he was in, Allah would take care of it. He didn't even ask Jibril to take care of it. And as we know from the story that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the fire cool on Ibrahim alayhi salam. So this is, you know, these stories, subhanAllah, they are extremely inspirational uh, because they're not just stories. They're intended to give us that strength and to to teach us what what we should do and how we should respond when we are going to be thrown into, you know, metaphoric fire. Or when we're being metaphorically tortured, um, either through the words of our family members or the words of those people who we love, the, the, the harsh words, the demeaning words at times that these are things that those who came before us also dealt with, and how did they do it? And how did they end up, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took them out of that, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was their support. Uh, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, to make us like them, uh, and, and to make us able to, to withstand the the fires of our own hardships, and the, the, the torture of, of the insults, and the, and the demeaning comments that come sometimes from those who are nearest to us. Inshallah, we'll take another short break now and returning, we'll continue with your questions on the topic of facing resistance in practicing our deen. Assalamu salamu This is Yasmeen Mujahid, and you're listening to Serenity, streaming live on One Legacy Radio. We have a number of really great questions in the chat box, which I'm going to, inshallah, try to cover some of. Uh, one of the questions says, I'm facing trouble with regards to reading namaz, I think, prayer. Um, my parents follow a different way, but I am trying to read according to the sunnah, and they don't like it. I don't know what to do. I feel bad that I'm not praying like they, they taught me. But I want to follow the Sunnah. Am I doing something wrong? Uh, to to this to this um, listener, you are not doing something wrong. Uh, you absolutely should be following the Sunnah in how you pray and in how you act. Uh, we are told in the Quran, "Say, if you really love Allah, then follow me, and then Allah subhanahu ta'ala, Then Allah will love you and He will forgive your sins." Um... So in order, the, the path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala needs to be through the sunnah of the Prophet Wasallam. Uh, if we love Allah, we need to follow the Prophet. This is the commandment of Allah in the Qur'an. So in order to pray, we have to pray the way the Prophet Wasallam prayed. Any other way is not going to be accepted. So it's extremely important that we do pray according to the sunnah. Otherwise, we are wasting our efforts and then um, in the end we've lost. Uh, we have to pray in the way that the Prophet Wasallam taught us to pray and not in the way uh, you know, that maybe cult- there are some cultural uh, understandings of how to pray. We have to follow the pure sunnah of the Prophet Wasallam, and not any innovation. It's very, very important that we we. We move apart, you know, like move aside the innovations the 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 things that people have changed or have added in the ibadah and stick closely to the sunnah of the prophet ﷺ uh, in and how he prayed and the way we saw it the way we we know he prayed and he worshipped um and this this person says that because of this they're not able to pray um i believe um because of of this issue i'm absolutely confused now because of this little issue my iman is at an all-time low and i've been super depressed uh and and this is this is so important uh, you abandoning the salah abandoning uh the the prayer is going to cut off your relationship with your creator and it for sure will make you your iman low and will make you feel depressed if your heart is alive So you need to come back to uh, the prayer, uh, you know, the obligatory prayers on time and according to the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ in order to be successful uh, in this life and the next. Regardless of of again how your family does it, you have to stick to the sunnah because every single person is going to stand alone on the day of judgment, and your what your family did or did not do is not going to make any difference for you on the day of judgment. So again, respectfully, in this in this. Situation respectfully disobey their their um, desire for you to pray in a way that is different than the sunnah. Uh, you need to, to to follow the sunnah because you're going to be asked individually on the day of judgment, and no one can intercede for you uh, except what Allah subhanahu wa taala allows. Uh, this person says that uh, revert. This is a revert. I am facing a lot of difficulty in making my parents accept that I will always be a Muslim. I am a revert since two thousand seven. They get very emotional and shout very unpleasant things about Islam or me. I try to practice Islam without them knowing so that, that, so that my mom doesn't get ill. How do I go about telling them? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy on you and make it easy on all the reverts and all those who are struggling against this, this, this resistance from their families. And first of all, again, like I, like I had spoken about earlier, seek your strength from Allah seek your strength from your relationship with him. I I tell you this and it is absolutely a fact that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala holds you up, you will be able to stand and withstand anything, anything, if Allah holds you up. But if you are not close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then these things will knock us down. Even the smallest thing will knock us down. But if your strength is Allah, if it's Allah who's holding you up, you'll be able to handle whatever they're saying to you. Look at look at our inspirational stories look at our prophets peace be upon them all look at Asiya. look at what she was able to withstand she was able to withstand physical torture from the greatest tyrant that ever walked the earth pharaoh and this was just because she wanted to hold on to her deen she was able to withstand it because Allah allowed her to look at what all of our prophets peace be upon them were able to do in 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 oppos- in resistance to, to with the resistance that they were getting from their from their people. Nuh, nine hundred and fifty years. Nine hundred and fifty years uh, he was dealing with this. And yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed him to be able to do it. Um, you know, he lived for 950 years, and 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 yet he was he was able to withstand it, and eventually Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved him from, from it. And and this is the story across the board. Yusuf alayhi salam. In the end, Allah always has your back, Allah always is going to get you through it uh, Musa alayhi salam, Allah opened up the Red Sea for him, you think Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can't make a way out for you, Allah can and Allah will, but the but the question is where is your trust and where is your reliance, because the reliance and the trust of Musa alayhi salam was in Allah he said, inna ma'ya rabbi when his people thought that they were going to be overtaken when they're standing in front of the Red Sea Musa alayhi salam said with no you know, no shaking, no 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 um, you know no doubt, Inna uh, Rabbi by no means, kella My Lord is with me and he will guide me through. If you have that attitude as a revert or, as, or even as a born Muslim who's facing this resistance from those closest to you, if you have that attitude that Allah is the one who's going to get you through this, I guarantee just like he got Musa through the Red Sea, السلام, just like he got Ibrahim السلام, through the fire, And just like he got Asiya through the torture, he will also get you through. And this is the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is the only one who never breaks his promises. A human being can break his promise, but Allah never breaks his promises. And Allah says that he will get you through this and he will. But you have to put your trust in him and you have to face him and you have to get closer to him and seek his help. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make it easy on you. Before I end, I want to share a very inspirational story on this topic and and the lesson that this sister learned uh through the you know the persecution and what she went through with her family uh in this same regard. She writes almost five years ago, I converted to Islam alhamdulillah at the age of twenty. I knew my parents and my family in general wouldn't take my decision lightly, so I decided to keep my conversion and my new belief a secret. It was I was still a student dependent on my parents and was too afraid to face up to them, and I feared the consequences. For one and a half years, I was able to keep my faith a secret, praying in secret, fasting in secret, avoiding haram meat by becoming a vegetarian. I became very creative in hiding my faith, But I couldn't keep it up forever. And eventually, after one and a half years, my parents asked me the tremendous question if I had become a Muslim. At that moment, I was at a family party of my grandmother. And they asked me this question in front of a bunch of aunts and uncles and grandparents and nieces who didn't know anything about my new lifestyle. At that moment, I remembered that I thought back to sumayya the first martyr of Islam and of the first Muslims and the difficulties they faced and the torment, but that they did not deny their faith. I made a promise to myself that I wouldn't deny my faith no matter what the consequences were. The consequences were, as I had feared they would be. My parents insulted me in front of a lot of people. Some were family, some were unknown. During this reign of insults and screams, I remember a strange calm coming over me and a strength that I didn't know I had. Nobody stood up for me at that point. Nobody interfered. I was standing alone, but I didn't feel alone, alhamdulillah. Eventually, my father made his conclusion. From that day forward, I wasn't his daughter anymore, and I had to leave. He ordered me to go home, pack all my stuff, and be gone if he would come home that night and so I did. We had a bit of troubled family history, and my conversion to Islam exploded all the tension that existed for years. After that day, I never went to live back to my parents' house. Although I was on my own, I did not feel alone, because I felt I solemnly did this for the sake of Allah, and he would create a pathway for me. In the following year, the relationship with my family went with ups and downs. The contact with my parents got restored, but the bond had been broken and it took a time, a lot of time to mend. The worst, astaghfirullah, was still yet to come. Because I didn't wear the hijab yet and my faith was still not visible on the outside. While it was only my parents who reacted harshly to my conversion, the whole family would As to the hijab, my personal opinion of the hijab is that if I put it on, I never want to take it off, not for a job, not for school, and certainly not for my parents or my family. My family and my parents despised the hijab and a lot of doors suddenly went shut. In the beginning, I still got invitations for family dinners with the quote-unquote kind request of leaving my hijab at home. But since I refused to do that... Even the invitations to me got, quote, lost in the mail, and a lot of masked masks dropped, and phone calls and emails remained unanswered. Gossip started behind my back and found its way to me through some good old friends that lasted through the storm. Alhamdulillah, it was a difficult time. I tried to enhance the relationship with my parents as I realized how important family ties were in Islam, but after another fight, another storm of insults in which they left nothing whole of my personality, after I tried for years, I went mentally drained and needed rest, and that's when I stopped taking my initiative to contact my parents. I heard you saying in your lecture it's very important to always uphold the family ties, but I can honestly tell you that this sometimes is more hurtful and more damaging to yourself and the other people to keep having contact than to let it go. I needed distance from them to find my self-worth again, and so I did. Also, my parents themselves did not take any steps towards me, and during a period of seven months, we did not have any form of contact. Although I needed this distance to mend myself, this was the most difficult time of my life so far. My heart ached, and even though I did not have a very good bond with my parents from the start, I still missed them very much and could sometimes physically taste the pain their loss caused. I felt like I was mourning for a deceased loved one. To me, it felt like I had no parents anymore, like they had died. At some point, I even thought it would have been better if they they would have died because then they wouldn't have rejected me as they did now. Alhamdulillah, this grief took me to some deep levels of sadness. But even in those dark times, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was still there and I could still feel His presence. But I didn't know how I could ask his help in this situation. I felt confused trying to become closer to him, had left me without a family. Although I was very thankful to him for having guided me, I also felt angry because why did this happen to me? Why did all the converts in my environment fix the problems with their families so quickly? And was I left with none? The question why kept running through my head every day and kept me sometimes awake at night. I couldn't continue like this. Something had to change. I decided to seek advice from a therapist to try and accept that I had lost my family and to learn how to cope with it without at some moments grief overwhelming me. While during my weekly therapy sessions, I was trying to mend my heart and soul to leave the grief behind. I also started to search for Allah again. I always kept praying to Allah, Alhamdulillah, and kept making dua. But it felt like the connection was lost. I called Allah, but I always felt like I was dialing the wrong number, like my vision had been blurred and I couldn't see the right numbers clearly. Gradually, my reading books, my listening to lectures, I felt my vision becoming clear again so that the numbers were obvious to me again, and I was able to restore my connection with Allah because I learned to accept. I left the question why behind. That had been bothering me for so many months and was able to truly have patience and even the slightest bit of contentment because it had been given to me by Allah. Allah had taken away my family for a reason, for a purpose. One year later, I realized the purpose to depend on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only. Allah took away my family so I would have no choice but to rely on him. And from the moment I truly did, he gave me back my family. He gave me back my parents. Subhanallah. Allah is truly the greatest. For sometimes after I tried to fix my relationship with Allah, my father took the first step in contacting me and his attitude as well as my mother's towards me completely changed. Alhamdulillah. So today I have a better relationship with my parents than I had in years. Subhanallah. I, 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 Subhanallah. This, this story really inspired me, uh, and it shows such a deep lesson that this woman went through this, this hardship, and she realized the purpose of it. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala sometimes takes things away from us. Sometimes Allah takes away false dependencies so that we can depend on only Him and Him alone. And when we depend on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and him and him alone, then even those things that he had taken away are sometimes returned to us or something better is returned to us. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make it easy on all of us to face our struggles, to face our hardships and to do what is most beloved to him. What a